At American University, we don't just hope for change, we create it. We don't just dream of a better world, we make it a reality. With a graduate degree from AU, you'll access expert faculty and connections throughout DC to develop skills and experience to turn your passion into purpose. And that purpose can make all the difference in your career. Discover the difference a degree makes at american.edu slash gradschool. Okay, well, that was England 2, Sweden 0. Slightly more comfortable than I think we may have anticipated. Uh, there was some sort of penalties predictions before the game, scrappy 1-0s, but England made that look very, very easy. Um, and Alex, let's start with you and talk about why that was. I mean, England, they looked comfortable throughout the game. Sweden didn't create too many chances. And actually, one of the things that they did, which I don't really understand, uh, was they played quite a high line to pressurise England's defenders when they were on the ball. Um, but as you mentioned, they don't bring their defence up because the centre-back's quite slow and they didn't want to risk them having to get in a you know a chase with Sterling or Harry Kane if there was too much space in behind. But what that meant is that there was quite a lot of space between the midfield and the defence. And Raheem Sterling, you know, ran ragged through that in, in, in the first half. So why, why would Sweden set up like that if they pre- presumably knew that was going to happen at times? I think because Sweden wanted to cut England's um, playing out from the back off at source. And to do that, I mean, Bergen, Teuvenen naturally press in that way anyway. Usually the midfield line is not quite as far forward. Yeah. Um, I suspect they did it because they wanted to get closing down Stones, Maguire, Walker. But at the same time, kind of conscious of the fact that particularly Graunqvist is not very quick and Olsen is not the kind of keeper who sweeps up in behind and is particularly comfortable with the ball at his feet Mm. like Pickford is. Mm. They couldn't afford to leave that much space there. Lindelof is a bit quicker and could have dropped in but when when you've got not just Kane and Sterling but also Lingard and Deli Alli countering quickly both wing backs are, are fast as well. Yeah. Sweden were kind of caught between what they wanted to do in, in a pressing sense and what they knew they needed to do to make sure they weren't caught too much on right. the hop. Well, you mentioned Raheem Sterling there, and he was probably England's most impressive player, at least in, certainly in the first half, um, which was nice for us because we're currently making a video about him and why perhaps he's undervalued by certain sections of the England support, let's say. Um, but he really proved again today, despite not scoring, that he, well, he proved why he why he's in the team, right? Yeah, he's in the he's in the team to create space. For, he he doesn't play a dissimilar role to Harry Kane. Um, Kane, obviously, with his height, is a threat at set pieces in a way that Sterling isn't, especially, and that's mm. why Kane's managed to score some goals. But in terms of what they seek to do. Um, both of them drop off with the intention of creating space for the attacking midfield two to push up into yeah. or the wing backs to cut across into. Sterling, because he is so fast and so strong, is more dynamic in doing that than Kane yeah. and will go all over the pitch. If you look at Sterling's touch map against Colombia or I'm sure against uh, Sweden, mm. you'll see that he crops up everywhere. He goes deeper than Jordan Henderson to collect the ball off the centre backs. He pops up wide left, wide right, plays all the way across the box. Mm. Um, it just it's sort of just 
ahead of the penalty box. And what he does is, because he is so good at taking the ball under pressure, if the opposition close him down, he can hold the ball up mm. and there's space in behind where the opposition has moved to to squeeze him down. Mm -hmm. If the opposition don't close him down, he can then turn and run at pace, where, kind of like um, Pogba does for France, carrying the ball from a deep midfield position, then you've got runners moving off that, mm. and the defence is thinking, oh, shit, do I, do I push now towards <laughs> and try and close down this run, or do I stick with my the, the player I'm supposed to be marking? So Sterling does both of those things. I mean, in terms of the way he, he's played both against Colombia and in this game, there are aspects of his game that are like what Hazard was doing against Brazil. The, the ability to pick the ball up from a deep position and just cause the opposition either to flood in on him mm. or to sit back off him and then let him carry the ball. Yeah. Um, he, he was fantastic. He was absolutely fantastic. One of the other things I liked about England today, um, and we've seen, we've seen a theme of this across the tournament, and we, the first time we saw it was with, I think in the Panama game, the different runners at set pieces, as a, uh, particularly. So in the first game against Tunisia, we saw Harry Kane scoring a couple of goals and be, being the player that was being found whenever a corner was coming in or a free kick. The next game, it was Harry Maguire and John Stones, and they were switching those roles around to, you know, make it difficult for the opposition to know who to mark. In previous games before today, we've seen Deli Ali and Jesse Lingard have more space and a bit more time on the ball and be more proactive going forwards but to, and with someone like Sterling as you just said they're sucking up a lot of the space bringing players towards him today it seemed like those roles were reversed a little bit because Sterling was the one who was breaking free in space and Jesse Lingard and Dele Alli at times were being fairly well confined by the Swedish deeper midfield so is is that intentional do you think or is that just how how the game plays out if is it based on who the opposition define as someone that they want to shut down and mark and f today it looked a little bit like that was happening for Jesse Lingard and that meant that Raheem Sterling got a little bit more space. Yeah I think to a degree that's true um, I mean I, I still think Sterling was doing that an awful lot and, mm. and dropping in. I think what you have with that front four is four players who are all capable of doing the same sort of stuff and I don't mean that critically because mm. it's a very high skill set uh, Yes, you know, one's maybe a little bit quicker, one's maybe a little bit stronger, but by and large, that ability to to find space either by pushing up or dropping off between a, a, a line of back four and a line of midfield four, mm. they can all do that. And so, like you say, it's kind of who the opposition maybe have identified as uh, somebody that they particularly need to close down. I I strongly suspect that because... Because of the way that Sweden often drop back and, and defend really quite close to their goal line, they will have identified Lingard's shooting from deep as a particular threat. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of the goal that Sterling laid on for him um, against Panama. That's probably why they were, they were looking to get to him quickly and, and close that down. Mm. I think they also probably wanted to control that area in front of the penalty area more than they wanted to control the flanks because uh, Trippier and Young both had a lot of joy mm. um, taking quick passes and, and finding space 
in that little corridor before they could get crosses and there was one particularly good left footed cross mm. uh, from Ashley Young uh, Trepier had the same joy a few times even Sterling got some um, some space out wide so Sweden defended much like we thought they would mm. um, but by by trying to close down Lingard quickly I think that was a a result of his ability to shoot and that did leave I mean this this is the great thing about England's front four is that whoever the the opposition pick up there's always going to be spare men mm. um, and actually at the, at the telling point for the second goal it was Lingard crossing in in a bit of space to Ali who was in the box so yeah. that shows Phil jo- uh, Jordan Pickford had another great game today carrying on from his uh, penalty save and his brilliant last minute save in the last game against Colombia um, how important do you think it is to a team at this stage of the tournament to have a keeper who not only is making brilliant saves like that, but also just seems to be really confident? Because he looks like he... I mean, he definitely made a difference in this game, didn't he? He could have been a lot less comfortable. Utterly crucial. Yeah. Um, with each passing game, he seems to get more and more confident. Yeah. Didn't really, didn't look like anything was going to get past him today. No. And going and then also that his apparent ability to communicate with his defences. You see him shouting and hollering a lot, which is a brilliant thing to see. Yeah. It's going to be really important just uh, for Dreamland to kind of maintain that yeah. calm system at the back to have someone with such brimming, with such confidence and yeah. such ability at the back yeah. going forwards. Well, the next game is uh, Russia-Croatia. Mm. We were just having a, a brief chat about this outside, um, and I think we're all in agreement that Croatia are possibly the stronger team, but maybe maybe uh, you'd rather face them than, than Russia in the semi-finals. What, what's your take on that? Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, I think that whilst Croatia are a very good team, we are as well, and, they, and there's certain factors I think you can probably equate and then kind of think of a plan to actually counter. Yeah. Russia mental. Yeah. So you yeah. know, you never know quite. You know, if if you get an enormously partisan crowd, uh, you'd suspect that England would still win, but it would be. I think the the prospect would be a bit tougher. And you know, if you think it, I mean, obviously England has shown amazing nerve so far, yeah. uh, which you'd hope and would expect to continue. But you wouldn't be. You, you can beat up the England players if they start to feel a bit nervous with a stadium brimming with Russians yeah, like, yeah. putting their team to go forward. Alex, let's talk about some of England's defence uh, because John Stones, I think, has been fantastic throughout the tournament, and I'm not. I'm not certain that he's getting enough accolades for, for doing that. Partly because Harry Maguire has uh, grown into his position as the games have gone on. He obviously s- scored today, um, and he, you know he's looked great, particularly moving forwards with the ball as well. But Kieran Trippier. It has to be England's best player at the tournament, right? It's a real struggle to pick a best player. Just in terms of, for me, in terms of like consistently being one of the best players on the pitch, if not the best player on the pitch, and maybe because of the system that England are choosing to play with, the fact that he has so much of the ball, but that every time he, he gets it, he seems to do the right thing with it, and his delivery into the box has yeah, been amazing. I, don't get me wrong, Trippier's been, been fantastic, um, and... When he was signed by Spurs, I I was saying back then he's a really really good crosser of the ball. Didn't necessarily have quite the dynamism that Walker had down the right hand side in that team, but the delivery um, and his set piece delivery has been very impressive too. Um, but his his crossing from the moving ball in open players has always been really really good. Mm. Um, they have a very, very good shape, that whole back five. I mean, it's probably unfair to call them a back five because Trippier and Young do get forward so much. But 
they seem to know working alongside Jordan Henderson as well, who has also been absolutely exceptional. Mm. Um, the the covering of one another, the positional awareness. I think credit needs to go to Pickford, as as Philippe said. You know, he's a very communicative goalkeeper, and I don't doubt for a second that that some of that covering is because Pickford saying, "You go here, you go there." Yeah. Um, Stones kind of knits it all together. Um, he, just you know, looks so comfortable. It just, it's very. I mean, he's he's not languid mm. um, because you know he he was quite confrontational with Berg during this game. It's not you know he's not kind of so cool and aloof that he mm. just strolls around and plays the right pass. Um, he's England's best defender since Rio Ferdinand. Yeah, um, and has a very skim skimmer similar mm. skill set and you can see in in you know Gareth Southgate's desire to play it from the back you can see in the opposition attackers who are at, are at times charged with pressing John Stones that they don't want to get too close to him because he's going to pass it straight past them and he frequently just wanders as far up as he can yeah. and then makes a you know a pass that you just don't normally associate with a center back well building from the back when you've got that system and what i love about Southgate is he he transitioned to a system and then he found the correct players to play in that system. Mm. And he's kept faith with those players like Maguire, who, you know, when Maguire first got selected for England, what, 10, 12 caps ago, mm. people were like, who is this guy? Mm. You know, he's kind of, um, he, he was identified as being the, the correct fit for that left-hand role. Now, yeah. the back three, a keeper as good with the ball at his feet as Pickford is, and Henderson dropping back. Straight away, you've you've created a number of passing triangles there that mean if you're trying to close down that group of four or five players with only two strikers, yeah. you are going to exhaust those two strikers mm. because all of those players are comfortable with the ball at their feet. That's before you even bring the wing-backs back. All of a sudden, you're asking, exactly as Sweden did, to shift their entire midfield line forwards mm. in order to facilitate that press. Otherwise, it's pointless trying to press that high. And then straight away, you've got passing options where Stones particularly can hit those lovely flat mm. vertical passes to Sterling dropping in or Lingard dropping in. Mm. And straight away, you've bypassed almost half the Swe if more than half of the Swedish team. Mm. And that all comes from having... Defenders and a goalkeeper who are comfortable on the ball, with Stones really being the kind of anchor man of that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, again, I think it's you really said good. it. You said it's it earlier. Really it's hard to pick a player in that team that that hasn't performed really well before today. Before I would today, have said, I would have said Deli Alley. Yeah, and I would have said Ruben Loftus Cheek to start, but the score today he didn't. Yeah. He, he was losing the ball a little bit in the first half, but but then in in the game against Panama. Yeah. Jesse Lingard had a couple of really, really heavy touches yeah. in the first ten minutes, and then yeah. scored an absolute screamer. So, yeah. you know, I, I think it's it's not possible to look at that. You know, the, this is why you, you see calls for oh, you know, what what does Rashford have to do to get a game, mm. or what does Danny Rose have to do to get a game? It's like if you have a team where you cannot genuinely say any of those players is performing anything less than a 7 out of 10 mm. and most of them are, are, are higher than that yeah. why would you make changes to that yeah. Um, yeah. you know unless there's an injury or whatever now you've got momentum you've got positivity you've only got 
a semi-final. You, you know, there's two games left mm. guaranteed for England. <clears throat> so just keep crashing through with that same group. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, Phil, if Phil gets his uh, predictions ready, I'm going to ask you the same thing I asked him. We'll talk about the Russia-Croatia game after it's happened. So we'll we'll, we'll keep this limited now because it may well be redundant uh, later on today. But as we said, we think probably Croatia are the better side, but you may still prefer to to play them than Russia. Oh, I I mean, we, when we were talking with Damien. Uh, outside, uh, he said exactly what I was thinking. You never want to play the hosts no. at any point no. um, because they don't have to be the better team to to be able to win games. Not not because of any cheating or any bollocks like that, but simply because the the boost that you get from playing in front of an incredibly partisan home crowd mm. on home soil, the number of, generation thing, right? The number of tournaments that have been won by the home nation. Um, where they haven't necessarily been the best side. Mm. Um, it was something like four of the first six World Cups as well were won by uh, the, yeah, the host Yeah, I mean, the, the, it was a bit odd there because travelling for the teams outside of, of Europe or Same thing, across of, the Atlantic. Right, exactly. So <laughs> there's maybe more I of think an for effect. I think for the 1930 World Cup, I, I think... There were teams from Europe that would... They sailed they, together, didn't together, they? Together, yeah, which yeah. you would, I suppose, wouldn't you? The, I think the Dutch and the Italian... And the French. And the French. They, they sort of picked up the French or the Spanish all along the way or something, <laughs> and then they sailed out there together. OK, <clears throat> let's do some predictions then. Uh, it's coming up next. Uh, Alex, I'm going to start with you. Russia, Croatia. It's so difficult. This is a really difficult one to predict, uh, but it's your go to go first. Well, for the same reasons that... I'd rather play Croatia, even though they're the better side. Mm. I'm going to have to go with a 2-1 Russia. Okay. Philippe? I'm going for 2-1 Croatia. I'm going for penalties, guys. I think it's uh, happening. Yeah. I also predict that we'll be here late because also, of that. I also got the point for the... Uh, I got an exact score. Yes, you did. Hey, we've had like three exact scores in a row, haven't we? Uh, not quite, but it's been close. close I've also, I predicted this morning with my girlfriend that would be a goal on either side. She's now denying ever having that conversation. <laughs> well, I'm going to go with Claire on that one. <laughs> I don't want to hear the truth either. Uh, Philippe Storming Heather, you're on ten points now, aren't you? Yes. We should probably work out how many games it's been since we started doing this, because ten sounds like an awful lot, doesn't it? Well, I've got them here, mate. So. Mm. Well, we remembered earlier, though, that we said in an earlier podcast that uh, we made two predictions for winners, and if our prediction came through, mm. we'd get five points. So, France is still in it for you, Phil. Yes. England is still in it for me. Keep Alex, is, of course, is out of it, because uh, he's absolutely rubbish at this. But uh, Right, well, we will be back in a little bit then to talk about uh, Russia, Croatia, and then we can chat as well about how the England game, the England semi-final, <laughs> how an England semi-final World Cup might pan out, and uh, why it's coming home. Right, back in a bit. Okay, uh, well that is Russia two, Croatia two. Uh, lots of drama in that game there. Another hundred and twenty minutes plus penalties, uh, so we can expect that the Croatian team will be. Quite tired come the semi-final. Welcome news to England fans, I'm sure. This is uh, the result that we three decided in some ways that we wanted. Yeah. Uh, whilst Croatia are arguably the better team, you never want to play the hosts. And uh, Russia showed again this evening why you don't want to play them. Uh, let's start with Croatia, though, Alex, because they started the game with a particular setup that didn't work for them already once in the tournament and uh, that we cautioned against when that happened, which was playing Rakitic and Modric in a midfield double pivot on their own without a defensive midfielder. 
In this game, that's something that they ended up rectifying at half-time. Clearly it didn't work again. What possible reason is there for Croatia to have started like this? You mentioned around half-time that you thought the only thing maybe is that they thought Russia would sit off. Yeah, I think possibly from having watched the Spain game, they decided that Russia's best effort was... Maybe maybe Croatia were inferring that Russia would view them in a similar way to Spain and therefore try and sit off. Uh, Croatia are playing a lot down the wings, Perisic and Rebic, both having very good World Cups, then looking to cross inside. And maybe they felt that Russia would therefore default to a back five, that that would give them additional cover and that they wouldn't have to contest the the proper middle of the pitch quite so much, yeah. that would allow Modric and Rakitic to play there without the cover of a defensive midfielder. Mm. Uh, that's not what Russia did. No. Russia decided that they would press, um, that they would try and squeeze Croatia back. And Was that another surprise from Russia, do you think? Or was it perhaps uh, a mistake on the part of the Croatian coach to think that they wouldn't do that? Or well, they, they think they would view them in the same way as they viewed Spain? Yeah, maybe. I mean, Russia basically reverted to how they played in the group stages. Yeah. Um, so there wasn't a great deal of difference there. They, they, they made their one change for that one game. And, and, you know, we're talking earlier about Belgium, Brazil, you know, that, that probably was a one-off change as well. These sorts of big shifts don't tend to happen all that regularly. Um, what, what we ended up seeing was basically the first half of Croatia, Nigeria again, Mm -hmm. where Modric and Rakitic, ended up really, really deep, really close to their centre-backs, trying to ping long balls out wide, giving Perisic uh, and Rebic a huge amount to do, with Mm. Kramaric doing his level best to drop in and and provide some sort of link, but not. it wasn't really working. Mm. Uh, Russia's goal, um, Cheryshev's lovely goal, really, really good goal, came from... Hit, you know the the run through that pair mm. because they aren't defensive midfielders. They're and not Modric, there to uh, tackle. Them. Tried to make a tackle and and didn't it manage just, it. And, yeah, and yeah. and I, I think if if Croatia make the same mistake against England, which they surely won't. Well, you say that, but then uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe there's a degree of arrogance. Maybe again, I don't know. I said this to you outside when we were having a cigarette. You know, maybe maybe this is a kind of thing where a, a coach who's come in just before the World Cup. Um, who's not massively well-known, maybe not that well-respected, is listening a lot to his senior players, mm. two of whom will be Modric and Rakitic. You must think now after saying, this game that like, even Modric and Rakitic are going to be saying, maybe we need some help because this isn't quite working. You would think so, but then... In some ways, they're lucky, uh, and we shouldn't do, you know, do down the performances of a Croatia team. They weren't brilliant against Denmark. They weren't brilliant tonight either. But in some ways, they're lucky to reach the semi-final uh, because they've made that mistake twice now, and they've survived both games, haven't they? They have. Um, I mean, you know, they, they they haven't hit the heights since the performance against a very disjointed Argentina side, and we've mm. talked a lot about why Argentina were bad. There's no doubt at all that in Rakitic and Modric, they have two of the best central midfielders in the world, mm-hmm. and certainly, you know, two of the top five that are still left in the tournament. Yeah. But it's about, as we explained in that video we did, it's about creating a system that harnesses their abilities and allows them to play properly. Mm. And 
having both of them together in a midfield double pivot that sits so, so deep just isn't doing that. Well, before we go on to talk about Raheem Sterling running circles around Dejan Lovren, let's talk about <laughs> Russia, uh, because they've been one of the most fun teams to watch this tournament. Uh, I've loved every moment of Russia uh, this this tournament, and I kind of, you know, part of me sort of hoped that they would go through. I, I would never want to face them because they seem, seem to be so unpredictable. Um, but there's there's so much to talk about with Russia. I'm going to start with Cheryshev uh, because. As we've mentioned before, he was on the substitute bench for the first game. Jaguev returned tonight from from that injury, uh, but he's been one of their, you know, one of their best players. He scored four goals. There's also Golovin, who announces himself, I suppose, on the world stage. Uh, Cheryshev strikes me as one of those players that, despite the fact he's already at Villarreal, who are a great club, uh, is now going to be perhaps in the mind of some of the uh, some of Europe's top chairmen. Apparently Chelsea are interested already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's Ch- Cheryshev is, is an absolutely classic example. Wasn't he at Madrid at once before? He was at Real Madrid's B team. Right, right. So, I mean, he was on the books of that club, but he, yeah. I, don't think he, I don't think he ever even played for the senior team. Right. Um, he's, he's like classic World Cup availability heuristic. Yeah, you know, yeah. and, and he's scored, I think, at least two of his goals have been absolute worldies, possibly yeah. three of yeah. them. So straight away, on the basis of like zero kind of background, I mean, he's barely got a game for Ray, uh, Villarreal. I think he scored four goals for Villarreal, like right. two league goals, a couple of cup goals. I really want someone to buy him now, just because. And of this. someone, no, but someone is. Yeah. Someone is absolutely yeah. going to price it, and Villarreal are going to go. Oh, you yeah. know, it'll be forty or yeah. fifty million, yeah. and they'll be, yeah, who's brilliant. that sexy Russian that scored so many goals <laughs> yeah, in uh, Russia in twenty eighteen? Let's get him. I mean, that's it's just. It's so stupid yeah. to buy exactly that sort of player. Yeah. Because I'm not saying Cheryshev is a bad player. No. And he has had a fantastic World Cup. But scoring a couple of really, really great goals in yeah. a very, very limited time period in a particular formation in your home World Cup yeah. is not the kind of decent foundation on which to assume that a player's going to be decent for three or four seasons. Okay, but speaking of decent foundations, Alexander Golovin, on the Golovin, other hand... on the other hand, mm-hmm. is fucking brilliant. Where's he going? He's going somewhere, isn't he? Where's he going? Tell me where he's going. I don't I don't know. I don't know where he's going. But Southampton? I think I might have heard a rumour about Manchester United. Well, they're sort of linked I mean, I'd literally yeah, kill someone to have him at Southampton. Yeah. Possibly one of you two. Okay, which one? Um, you'd be easier. I'm Melfia for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Joe would be easier. He's a lot bigger than me. Yeah, but you're, yeah, you're tenacious. I'm I, ready I, for death I, now. I, I bring guns to a knife. <laughs> yeah, I'm sort of I'm beckoning on the darkness. Yeah, so you'd, I think you, uh, you'd catch me on the way to the knife fight. You'd arrange it somewhere else <laughs> and then jump me on route. Uh, um, no, well, Go- Gullivan, Gullivan will he will surely go somewhere big. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think Russia made a concerted effort to have quite a lot of their players home-based mm. um, where they possibly could. And I think in some instances that involved bringing players back from a kind of almost cajoling clubs into buying. Yeah. Now that's passed because they've hosted and, and it will continue without them. Um, he's He's got to be going somewhere big. And yeah. I think he would work really well in the Premier League. Yeah. By no means do I want this to sound patronising, as it probably will, but Russia getting to the quarterfinals is not what was expected for the team before the tournament started. That's and, and not something... patronising. No, 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 I know, but it's lowest ranked team by a long, long way. Yeah, 
they they were a bit chaotic. They've obviously not played competitive football, which you know, home advantage giveth with one hand, but taketh away with the other, because you you've not played proper football for two years. Uh-huh. So I don't think anybody expected them to hit the ground running with the formation that they used. I think they were buoyed by having a couple of really strong performances against weak teams. Yeah. Um, and they, you know, they, they've really deserved to be at this point. I mean, they, they've, they've certainly not tired. No. Um, <laughs> and mm. you know, yeah, people will say what they say. Um, I don't but care. You know, I, 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 they're one of my favourite teams. There have been enough really strong performances yeah. from Russian players. Golovin's been excellent. Zuba's been excellent. Yeah. Both fullbacks have been really good. Yeah. Kaczynski's impressed in defensive midfield. Uh-huh. Um, Samadov, with his dead ball delivery from the right-hand side, has been impressive. Oh, so Akinfeyev. Even Akinfeyev hasn't yeah. really had the error Where's in the howler? life. No I know. Howler. I mean, he's... He's always been good for a howler, but I mean the penalty save with his legs in the last yeah. round was yeah. was fantastic. So. And as we say, they you know they managed to to stretch two games against a superior opposition all the way to penalties. Penalties can always go one way or the other. And what surprised me about the end of this game was that against Spain, Russia just walked up to the goal and banged every single one of those penalties in like they didn't even they didn't even know where they were. You know today the the, the quality of penalties here was dreadful. I mean, the last two or three were very good. Rakitic looked comfortable. You know, that 38-year-old Russian, his name, I can't remember, Ignashevich, was it? Yeah. Yeah, that was... Yeah, his penalty was the best. The first four or five were just... Smolovs was... Oh, dear me. I mean... And that one dragged wide. We were saying we haven't seen many penalties go wide this tournament as well. And you wonder if that's the pressure of the situation or actually that they have now just reached that physical exhaustion. Well, both teams have played all the way to penalties through both knockout rounds. I mean, it's good news for England uh, in a way. Let's talk about that now uh, because England will be coming up against Croatia who have so far played, I suppose it's only 20 minutes more football than them over the last two games because England went to penalties against Colombia. But as you, you made the point already, we imagine they won't make the same mistake with Rakitic and Modric. However, Russia looked a threat from set pieces in this game, and mm. any team that, who has a little bit of size and aerial ability looks a threat against Croatia. And my feeling, I'm very confident. I feel, I feel like a, I feel like this is a totally winnable game. Yeah. So I think I think the two crucial points, set pieces. You're absolutely right, um, and we've talked quite a lot about set pieces and what England are doing already. So. Uh, that's something they'll look to exploit. I think the other thing is that Croatia, as I said earlier, have so far attacked almost exclusively out wide. Mm. And uh, by playing three at the back and wing backs, England are already naturally suited to thwarting that. Yeah. There's also the goalkeeper issue as right. well. Subasic seems to have um, done something with his, his hamstring there. Yeah. Managed to play on three extra time and then three penalties as well, but seems to be getting some kind of pretty hefty massage treatment on it. So yeah. it's obviously a situation that either have Zubasic, who might not be fully fit, or a, a keeper that's, that's their second keeper, basically. Yeah. So that could also be a, a big bonus for England. That always scares me, though. If you, if you, yeah, if you bring quantity. in a substitute player... This late on in the World Cup, it's their moment to shine. It's their, it's their time to prove their worth. You know. Well, if you know, if Sebastian decided that he's 
plan on through this, maybe they'll just decide to carry on with him. I don't know. But I did. This is part of my paranoid mind, but I wondered when he went down with the hamstring injury because it was difficult to see how that happened. Whether it was some sort of ploy, whether he was trying to encourage the Russians with five minutes left to advance and attack, uh, because the, I'm, I'm an injured keeper, and suddenly. Kazam, I'm not. I'm uh, fully fit. And then, you know, make some space behind. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's not the dumbest suggestion. It's not the dumbest thing I've said today. <laughs> no. So, uh, okay, key places for England then. Beyond set pieces, we talked there about the back three and the wing backs being a good option for defending against wide play. Let's talk about the midfield battle. So, assuming that Rakitic and Modric don't make the same mistake again, not them, sorry, the coach doesn't make the same mistake again, and Brozovic comes in to solid up that three there. That's a big job for Jordan Henderson, isn't it? Uh, it's a big job for Jordan Henderson to to push forwards up onto whoever that is. Of course, if they play Brozovic, then you're either going to have a, a more natural midfield three where one of those players will push up a little bit, probably Modric, mm-hmm. Um or you're going to have uh, them sort of. You might have Modric in the hole. It when when they when they went to a three, they didn't kind of replicate Kramaric's role with Modric or Rakitic. Right. Um, so Henderson might find himself a bit more spare, in which case he can push up more. Um, you're also therefore likely to have. Um, <coughs> still have numerical superiority particularly with the way that Sterling drops off uh, and Henderson pushes up so you can get you know at least one man over against a midfield three mm. so I think would you go with this you'd go with the same lineup that England started with today yeah yeah and if you were the Croatian coach for example what do you think when you look at the England team is there somewhere that can be threatened by Croatia I think Rebic and Perisic will be absolutely key. I think Rebic has had a really good World Cup, and I think if he is attacking the inside channel between a wing back and a centre back, which will be likely Ashley Young and, and uh, you would think, although Rebic and Perisic do swap over from right. time to time, which does make it a little confusing, <coughs> um, they could get some joy out of that. Um, there's also the possibility that. Uh, that Mandzukic will kind of do what Lukaku did against Brazil. So mm. he'll start wider on the left um, and kind of swap over and, and Rebic might drop into the centre because he's quite big. So Mandzukic might prey on Carl Walker, for example? Possibly on Carl Walker, who has looked less solid in the air than the other two England centre-backs. Mm-hmm. Um, Perisic is, is not so good in the air. So again, there's the possibility of, of playing... Balls into that kind of channel, them coming down, and then Modric maybe advancing onto a shooting opportunity around the edge of the box where he is super dangerous. Okay. So there are, you know, it's it's by no <coughs> means cut and dried this for England. No. Um, I have a sneaking feeling though that Dalic will go with the same lineup. Yeah. Um, okay. And that England will be able to really exert themselves in the first. Exert themselves? That's not what I mean. Assert themselves, assert themselves in the first half. I can't wait to do predictions for that one. The, I just want to say also the support could be quite interesting. Um, from what I've, I've I've read a few bits and pieces that, said, that have said that a lot of neutral Russian support has actually gone England's way uh, oh. during the tournament as well. So that could be very interesting. Well, particularly now. Yeah. They do like England over there. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that that could be something that could be a big bonus for England as well. I, I love Russia. <laughs> it's been so funny. I mean, yeah. I, I as I said, I wish they I wish they'd gone further just because of how funny it is. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, all that's left to do then is to tally up the results so far. I believe that's my point for penalties. Yes. Uh, so the, does that put me on seven? Uh, I think that sounds about right to me. Yep, seven. You're on ten. Ten. And Alex is on four. Yes. Deary me. Okay. Uh, well, predictions then for the next game coming up, which will be on Tuesday evening. Uh, you'll next be hearing from us after that game. It's France-Belgium. It's a real toughie. I'm going to go with Alex because I know that Phil's prediction is 2-1 France. <laughs> <laughs> and that's true, isn't it, Phil? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think Just to be clear, I'm going for Belgium. I'm going to go 4-1 France because I think they'll dick them. Really? Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm feeling really... Po- I, I think this is, this is a France-England World Cup final now. Okay, I'm going for 2-1 Belgium mm-hmm. uh, because I uh, like the idea of a rematch in which England finally win so that the Belgians can't go later that, when we that win. That is good narrative, yeah. Yeah, I don't want the Belgians to go in ten years' time when I'm hanging out in Bruges to go, oh, well, you didn't beat Belgium, did you? Even though you won the World Cup, you didn't beat... I'm like, oh, you Belgian? I've been pretty happy just saying, yeah, but we won the World Cup, to be honest. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not that clever, though, so I have to be more... I do know. like the fact that you know you'll be in Bruges in ten years' time. Yeah, why not? You know, okay. it's nice cheese, so, it's cheese, it? Oh, it's lovely. Yeah. Uh, and also because you've both gone for France, so I'm tactically speaking, I want the yeah, I want the, I want the advantage there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, we'll be back on Tuesday. There no podcast tomorrow or Monday, uh, but we do have videos coming out. So tomorrow we have a video coming out on Raheem Sterling and why, if you think he's bad, you're an idiot. Uh, and also <laughs> on Monday uh, we have a video coming out, a preview of the first semi-final, the game we've just talked about, uh, and more. Videos will follow every day, every day, every day, every day, every day. Right, see you later. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com.